Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to episode 150 of Unabridged. This is one of our book club episodes. Today, we are talking about E.B. Zaboy and Yusuf Salam's Punching the Air. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that we have lots of content on our website, unabridgedpod.com. We have bookish faves every Monday. On Tuesday, we shout out some books that we're excited to read. We release our show notes, which have little articles on Wednesday, and then on Fridays, we have book reviews. You can also find information there about our upcoming book club and buddy read picks. And for this month, Punching the Air is both our buddy read and our book club picks. So it's a two for one. It's very special. It's the first time we're trying that. So, all right. Well, we are going to start today with our bookish check-in, and each of us is going to share what we are currently reading. Sarah, how about you? (laughs) I think that if you've been listening week after week, you'll notice a theme in my choice reading because what I have started now is Maureen Johnson, John Green, and Lauren Miracles, Let It Snow, because I am still trying in my choice reading to find joy and lightheartedness. And so this is a collection of three I mean, I would call them a little bit more than short stories, but it's a collection of three, maybe like novellas. Yeah. So so three novellas that center around the winter and young love. It's YA. And you all know how I feel about John Green. So I was looking at my shelf and was like, what is the, the next winter or a holiday themed book I should read? And that one I've had on my shelf for so long and I just have never popped it open. So I started it and I, the first novella in the book is by Maureen Johnson and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm not very far in it because I just finished another book, but it is really sweet and I'm just happy to read a nice light YA read. So that is what I'm reading. All right. Yeah. I really like that one. I love Maureen Johnson. Is that the first thing I've heard you've read? Yes. And I mean, in the first page, like it, she just captures me with her characters. I just love the main character's name is Jubilee and she, and she has such a great voice in her writing. You know, you just feel like, you know, her at the very beginning, like the first few paragraphs. So I really have, I'm really enjoying it. Oh my gosh. I have one of her trilogies. I think you would really like, I'll have to bring it next time. (laughs) Next time I see you in the far distant future. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ashley, what are you reading? I'm currently completely enraptured by this book. I am reading Agueki Amazie's The Death of Vivek Aji. And I am actually listening to this one on audio, and it is a spellbinding story. I just think it is so powerful. It is talking about, as as the title suggests, you know up front that Vivek has died and was young and is brought home. And has clearly been murdered, it appears, but certainly has died of a violent death at an early age. And so it's all the unpacking of what led to that moment. And it is phenomenal. Jen talked about this one before, and I knew when she was describing it that I really, really wanted to read it. And I have just really been swept up in the story and think that Amazie does such a great job of creating character and showing the complexities of people and the relationships between them. So I, I am loving it. So that's what I am reading right now. Yeah. Have you I all mean, read Freshwater by? I haven't. I haven't. But I haven't. I listened to that as well, and they read it, and it uh, is. I mean, it is disturbing because. It has a lot to do with like mental health and there are these beings that kind of are telling the story that are like living inside, like living inside the main character. So it's really, but I mean, the writing is amazing. So I, I think you both would love it, but I'm hoping to read that before the end of the year. I really, 
That's also part of my book riot read harder challenge. I have that one on my list as a potential read. So that's, <laughs> I want that check mark. <laughs> and that, that one is actually fairly slim, but the novel this one is as well. This is, I mean, a lot happens, but it is a very fast moving and relatively short, short novel. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I, I plan to definitely read more by Amazie. Jen, what about you? What are you reading? So I am cheating just a little bit. I actually just finished this book this morning and have not had time to start a new one, but it is Yah Jesse's Transcendent Kingdom. And I absolutely loved Homegoing and had some apprehension because I loved it so much. Yeah, I wanted it to live up. And man, it is, it is amazing. And it is also fascinating because Homegoing was very, it's historical fiction largely, and really sweeping and epic and transcendent kingdom is modern. It is focused on one girl and her family, but yeah, it is just equally captivating. I am loving it. So it focuses on a woman named Gifty who's, she is a scientist and she is doing experimentation on mice to see if she can get them to be able to resist basically addiction. And you find out through the book, this happens pretty early, so this is not a spoiler, that her parents, who were from Ghana, came to the United States, and her mother has suffered from some mental illness over the years, and her older brother, Nana, I think is how you say it, but I'm not positive because I didn't listen, it's N-A-N-A, -N -A, died of an overdose. And so she talks really early on about how her family went from four to two. I don't want to get into all the details of that, how that happens. And so now it's just Gifty and her mom. And her mom is very, very religious. And Gifty has always struggled with how to, how to navigate that presence in her life in some way. She feels like after Nana's death, she had a really hard time with her faith. And so it's very much about how she is balancing the presence of science and religion. It's about how she's trying to help her mother and to understand her mother. It's about her still mourning her brother many years later. It's about her dealing with life after her father. It is absolutely beautiful. And that sounds like it would be like a 500 page novel. And it's another one. It's so short. It is just tight. The chapters are really short. They move very quickly. So even though it's literary fiction, I think it reads really, really fast. And she is just this amazing, complex character with this really strong voice. I'm just, yeah, I'm, we're, I'm talking about it tonight in a buddy read with Read with Tony. And I cannot wait to discuss it because there's so much good content to dive into. So that is Yah Jesse's Transcendent Kingdom. That's on my TBR. I've heard nothing. I've heard, I've heard it. People talk about it on several podcasts and I have heard nothing but good things about it. So yeah. I can't wait to read it. Same. I'm excited to read that one. And I loved Homegoing so much. Yeah. Another autobi author for Jen. <laughs> um, if you're keeping count, that's 3,272. <laughs> I wish you were joking. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to transition now into our main segment. So again, this is our book club episode about punching the air. So I'll read a quick summary and then we'll get started. Ibi Zaboy and Yusuf Salam's Punching the Air is a YA novel in verse about Amal. As the book begins, Amal is on trial for attempted murder and aggravated assault. After he is found guilty, we follow Amal as he enters a juvenile detention center and contends with the injustice of his sentence. He begins to nurture his inner strength and voice as he comes to understand the forces that brought him to this place. All right. Well, let's start as we always do in book club episodes with overall impressions. Ashley, do you want to start? Sure. I was excited to read this one because I've loved Evie's of Boy's work and the other things I've read by her. And I also love seeing more novels and verse come out, particularly for young adults. And so I was really excited for all of that. And I think that they did a great job of exploring the systemic problems that lead to Amal being incarcerated and also or going to the juvenile detention center and also what what it is like for him there. I think that that part really resonates and shows how 
demoralizing that experience itself is to young people. And so I thought that all of that was just really well done. Sarah, how about you? Similar to Ashley, I I love this as an access point for young adults who who may be intimidated by a book like Stamped or uh, or books that are longer in length. I like I like having this content available in a book in verse, much like long way, like Jason Reynolds's Long Way Down. I like that the social justice issues are being discussed in books that are accessible to a wide range of readers. So I like that. And I also thought that this was really well executed. I thought that the, I, I was really compelled by Amal's story. I loved the inclusion of his artistic ability. And I really liked the way that Zaboy describes the teacher that kind of was holding him back. And then the way that he takes it upon himself to find artists that speak to him. And I I just, I really liked it. I thought it was well executed. And I think again, for the, the audience that it is written for, I think that they will love it and eat it up. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with both of you. I think there were times it really reminded me of Just Mercy. And I think mm-hmm. the way that in that book, Brian Stevenson balances the universal and the personal, I think that Zaboy and Salam do that in here as well. So you see Amal come to realize the systems that have brought him there and that keep him there and that treat him the way he is treated when he's in the juvenile detention center. But you also see him take responsibility for some of the things that he did that he now regrets. There's a powerful scene when he's talking to, I guess she's like an art therapist and she brings in someone who speaks to them, to the, to the boys. And there, there are just some really powerful epiphanies that arise out of their vulnerability and their willingness to be honest and to share their own experiences with each other. And so I just, I thought that was really masterful. And yeah, Sarah, like you said about the audience, I think I love Just Mercy. I have not read the Young People's Edition, but I think that's a tough read for students, mm-hmm. younger students or students who may have reading difficulties. And so I think this would be a great way to get them to consider those same issues. Yes. All right. Well, let's talk about what worked for us. Sarah, do you want to start us off this time? Yeah, I don't know that I have a ton to add based on what I said before, but I think that my favorite thing in the book is Amal's artistic ability and the way that he uses his art to tell his story and to work through his feelings. And I liked the inclusion of the sketches in the actual paper copy of the novel. I really I like that. And I just, I liked that he had this talent that was largely untapped by the teachers that he was, that he had at the school that he went to, but that he was able to push through that and find his own voice in his art. And I really, I really like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Ashley, how about you? What worked for you? Yeah, I think that something I really loved was the way that Zavoy and Salam show Amal's character traits that are desirable in other circumstances are precisely what is negative for him within the prison system. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so important to show and that the way that he, you know, thinks outside the box, the way that he questions and thinks critically and wants to know why and All of that is seen as disobedience and defiance and therefore penalized. And I think there is a lot to explore there because I think, and I think we see it with his art teacher prior and with the way that she understood him and the way that she, you know, wanted to fail him for not following exactly the protocol she wanted him to follow. And then we see those things happening in the juvenile detention center. And so I really love that because I think that it helps to showcase how people with strong character traits that we as a society say that we admire are being hurt by these systems that are in place in our society. Mm -hmm. And so I just really loved that because 
for one thing, I think it's good for kids to see that, but I also think it's an important issue for us to explore in our society is how do we value these traits in young people? And even when, I mean, in his circumstances, we know that he did not commit the crime that he is accused of, but even for people who did, they are still young people with their whole lives ahead of them. And how do we help to support and celebrate those traits instead of trying to beat it out of them, basically. And Mm -hmm. I think we see that happening over and over again within his circumstances there at the detention center. So that really worked for me. What about you, Jen? What was something that worked for you? I really liked the way he works through friendships. And so when, so the crime that was committed is he and his friends got in a fight with a group of white kids who basically are fighting over this area where they're skateboarding. And Amal says several times throughout the book, I threw the first punch, but I didn't throw the last. So he's essentially one of the white boys, Jeremy Mathis is in the hospital in a coma and has not been able to testify. But that is basically why Amal was convicted. And his friends, I can't remember the way it all worked, but basically four four of them took plea. There were five of them and four took plea deals and Amal went to trial and he's, they all ended, but he, but he basically says they all end up in the same place in like in juvenile detention anyway. Yeah. So he is trying to work through his feelings about that because he committed, you know, he, he was in the fight with his friends because he felt like he was standing up for his friends And they were sort of in it together. And then you see him when he's in the juvenile detention center. And it's almost like this parallel group of friends. So he has a friend named Caden and he's the main one. I remember the others are Amir smoke and raw. And you see him, he's almost afraid to befriend these boys who he has a lot of connections with because he is almost worried he's going to fall into the same pattern, that it was that loyalty that then landed him in juvenile detention. And so I really liked the way he works through both making himself vulnerable enough to befriend them. And then as things happen and standing up for them sometimes means he is going to get in trouble again but he does it anyway. And so working out when it's the right time to do it and the right way to do it, I think is just really an important thing to talk about. He, he talks a lot about, he felt like he wanted to live his mom's advice. And so him figuring out the way to do that is really complicated. And so I really, I liked the way that Zaboy and Salam just dealt with that whole, that whole character, part of his character arc, I thought was really important. But yeah, I really, I enjoyed that. And I just liked seeing him make friends and and feel like he could stand up for them and that that was a source of strength. So Ashley, what is something that didn't work for you in this book? Yeah, so I thought that I really loved the poetry. I loved the integration of art. Like, Sarah said, and I think that the verse worked well, but I'd be so interested to listen to this on audio. I think that there were sections that I'm not sure that I and my reading on the page heard it in my head in the way that I think it could be said aloud. And so I would be really interested. This is a good one to be able to do in a couple of different formats because it's not terribly long. And I'd be interested to listen to that audio. So I don't know that I'd say that it didn't work for me, but I did feel like sometimes that I was losing things in kind of the translation of me reading it and then in my own head, as opposed to maybe the way it was intended for delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I I have heard or I have read people on social media saying that the audiobook is really great. So I think that would be that would be good. And I mean, I we just read last month the Poet X for our buddy read and I I read the first half and then I listened to the back half. And I have to say my enjoyment like skyrocketed hearing Elizabeth Acevedo read her slam poetry versus what I like heard in my head when I was reading it to myself. So I do, I would be interested also to hear the audio of this one. Sarah, is there anything that didn't work for you? I think the biggest thing for me, and I mean, I think this is just me being super selfish as a reader, but I really wanted to 
have a bit more of a conclusion and I understand the choice not to, but I wanted to know just being selfish. I really wanted to know what Jeremy Mathis, what his testimony was and what he said. And I just, I just wanted to know, I liked them all and I wanted to know what his fate was going to be. And I didn't, you know, I just wanted to know. <laughs> and it, it, we, you don't know, you have to just kind of use your, own, you got to make your own conjectures about that. But I really, I just wanted to know Amal's fate because I was invested in him so much as a character. What about you, Jen? What did, was, was there something that didn't work for you? Again, I don't know that this didn't work for me. I will say, I think it might've been in the place where I was as a reader. It started a little slow for me. It took me a little longer than I'm used to, to get into it and to kind of find my footing. So the early part is the trial. And I felt like it took me partway through the trial before I was totally in it, like totally hooked. Once I was in, I was in. It just (laughs) took me a little longer. But again, that that may very well have been my own brain. It probably was. So, yeah. All right. Well, we each want to share a quotation now. Ashley, do you want to share yours first? Sure. I felt like there were so many things to mark. And so I chose this one and I want to share it, but I also want to just shout out all the parts that had the really vivid imagery and the things about, I loved the parts, like I loved all the stuff with the butterfly and the role of that. And then I also loved kind of, the, there were several parts that were somewhat magical realism and I really loved that as well and I think all of that was really well crafted so I'm not going to share a quote from any of those but I wanted to say that those were things that really resonated for me in the writing itself but the one I chose is on page 44 so it's early on in the book and it says Amal Shahid to the left Jeremy Mathis to the right perfectly imbalanced because where I come from jail or death were the two options she handed to us because where he comes from, the American dream was the one option she handed to them. And I think that really speaks to the way Amal is coming to understand the systems in place that put him where he is. And just his awareness of how, even though it was the other boys who started the altercation and Ultimately, like Sarah said, we don't know the details of what happened, but we feel pretty confident as the readers that Amal is not, while he has some misgivings, as they talk about, of what he could have done differently to avoid being in the situation, we know that he's not the one that that got Jeremy to where he wound up. And so we see all that, and yet I just think that, I mean, it's what I said before about his character traits that we say that we value sometimes are exactly the traits that then result in punishment. And I think there's a real problem there. And so I love that because I think it ties together his personal experience with what's happening much more largely in the juvenile detention center and also in the prison system in general. So, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to mention, which I'm sorry to do an aside here, but I wish I'd said this when we were talking about what worked for us. I also really loved the naming throughout the book. And I felt like, again, very quotable, traceable. I loved like looking at the ways that Zipway and Salam explored the connection between slavery and the prison system and the prison pipeline. And I just think that all of that was really well explored in the verse, but also in the naming. And so I loved that. So again, I thought all that was really just paying attention to the language. That was something else that really stood out to me. Sarah, what's your quotation? So I'm just going to kind of piggyback off of what Ashley said, because my quotation is not the same, but it is, but it also is dealing with the same topic about kind of the systemic racism, basically, that's built into the system to be stacked against Amal and the, and his friends. And so mine, my quote is coming from a poem called Blind Justice 2. And it is, it is actually spans three pages, but I just have, I'm just going to read the last page. And it's, this is what it says. We were, we were a mob, a gang, ghetto, a pack of wolves, animals, thugs, hoodlums, men. They were kids having fun, home, loved, supported, protected, full of potential boys. And I just think that that is so impactful and it just speaks to the way that things are stacked against 
Amal and his friends when they when they they are basically put in juvenile detention and nothing happens to the other boys who were still complicit in the fight. I mean, they all did it. They, you know, and I just, I mean, that just really stood out to me. And like, I think that that is what Saboy and Salam do so well is show that these are things that are built into our system to stack against black people and people of color. And it's just, I mean, it's just really impactful reading those words and like, Mm -hmm using so few words to say so much, I just really was impactful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I appreciated where we didn't even see the, like you said, Sarah, we don't see the exact, we never find out exactly what happened, but we do get a pretty vivid depiction of some of the things that they said and how her, that the white boys said and how horrendous and antiquated. I mean, I appreciated mm-hmm. how it was like, it's like the 1950s, like this idea right. that like, how could they in this time still be acting in that way? Yeah. Well, and, and having the turf, are. like the turf and t- yeah, I mean. And so I think that that's really powerful because like you said, they're all complicit and whatever happened for sure they all were part of it as opposed to this, like wanting to pin it on the black boys who were participating instead of any of the white boys who were obviously involved in the fight as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. What about you, Jen? What is your quote? I'm debating how much of this to read. So mine is from a poem called surrealism that has a lot of art and then white space integrated into it. But I'm just going to read toward the end I think this touches on a lot of the themes you all have just talked about, but this is a section where he is speaking to uh, the butterfly that he has painted or drawn. And he says, butterfly, why are you even in here? What are you supposed to be changing? Maybe there's already a shift, us and them. I don't know if I'll change. I've been so broken too many times that I have turned to dust. Butterfly, you'd have to promise me you'll change them out there too. It can't be just me. They got to be different too. And so again, I think it's so powerful in showing just that Amal has grown and he has grown himself and in the way he views his own actions, but he has also grown in his understanding of the system that has worked to bring him to this place. And he is eager to change and to be better, but he wants he doesn't want that to be one-sided. He doesn't want to be the only thing that's changing because he understands that that is kind of shouting into the void a little bit. So yeah, I could have read that whole thing because it was really powerful, but I will stop there <laughs> instead of going overboard. We hadn't really talked much yet about the way that I think what they do really well also is integrating hope into the mm-hmm. story. And so even though, you know, we've talked a lot about how well Zaboy and Salam showcase the systems and how horrific they are. I think they also do such a great job of, of maintaining that hope in what is a really bleak situation for him. And so I loved that part. And I think like that passage and some of the others toward the end really spoke to that for me. All right, well, let's move on to our pairings. And so for these, each of us is going to share a book. We will strive only to share one book, though I'm making no promises and I go last. So, you know, (laughs) that we think would be a great read along or read alike with this one or inspired by this one. And I just made myself lose track of who goes first. Oh, Sarah, do you want to go first? Sure. So mine is kind of, I picked this book, it's Burned by Ellen Hopkins, and it is also a novel in verse. And I think they are quite different in the content. Burned is about a girl named Peyton who lives in a very strict, abusive, fundamental Mormon household. And it is a lot about her questioning her faith and trying to break away from this abusive family and trying to be a teenager away from like kind of the oppressive household she lives in. So it's quite different in, in subject matter, but what is, what reminded me of the, of punching the air is that Peyton is definitely oppressed by the expectations of her father and I mean, there there is some pretty terrible abuse in it. And I just feel like 
there are some similarities to punching the air. And in addition, I think in terms of the way that the book reads, it's super fast. And Hopkins does a very good job of writing super compelling novels that move quickly. And when you buy them, they look like they're like a million pages, mm -hmm. but but they move super fast. And, um, and like punching the air, there are a few words on the page, but each page says a lot. And I think that like punching the air, Burned is a book that will be very compelling for young adults. And it will also, Hopkins does a really good job of picking a social issue that affects teenagers and writing really, really compelling stories about those. So I think that that they are similar in that way. But again, the content and like the subject matter is quite different, but there are some similarities. And I think people or readers who, who liked Punching the Air might want to give an Ellen Hopkins book like Burned a try. I will say that her books are much more explicit. So they are definitely for a more mature audience. Just, I just want to put that out there because they both are considered YA, but Hopkins is a pretty gritty writer with the way she describes things. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to say mm -hmm. that before because it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah. I have not read that one of hers, but yeah, I can definitely see the writing style comparison. Mm -hmm. Ashley, how about you? Which, which pairing are you sharing today? So I wanted to share, I was torn because there were a lot of young adult ones that I think would be great, but I decided to choose one that I think focuses on some of the thematic things that I've shared that I really liked. So like the system, the connection between the systemic problems in America, the prison pipeline, the way that black boys and men are treated in America and viewed and how that, how incar incarceration itself affects them and affects their overall well-being. And so I wanted to share Tyari Jones's An American Marriage. I absolutely loved this book. I think I've talked about it at least for a bookish check-in, but I, it was for sure one of my favorite reads of the year. I think it's really masterfully done. And this one is not YA, although I do think advanced readers could certainly read it. It's great literary fiction. But this book focuses on a, a young married couple who early on, and they live in Atlanta, and early on in their marriage, they decide to, they go back to visit his family's home. And while they're there, they make a decision. It, it, they make this, you know, spur of the moment decision to stay in a hotel. And it reminds me in that way of a mall situation where he keeps thinking back to that moment when he decided to go with his friends instead of staying home and how regretful he is about that, even though he could not have known what was to come. So this happens to um, Roy is convicted of he's accused of the rape of a white woman and then ultimately is convicted. It's very clear that he did not commit the crime, but there's no He's, he's sentenced to 12 years in jail. And so you start to see how, again, I mean, how it's this momentary, like if he hadn't, if they hadn't gone to the hotel, if they had stayed with his parents, then they never would have been there. Then they had this argument prior to this accusation where he winds up like cooling down. They had this really great thing in their relationship where they would like take 15 and calm down. So they were arguing about something and then they decide to cool off. And while he's doing that, he bumps into this woman. And so then the woman has seen him. And so, you know, he, I think in the story, you can tell that he feels for the woman who accuses him in the sense that he knows something happened to her and he is sorry for what happened to her. And yet he did not commit the crime and he is in prison because of it. And so I just really loved the, I just thought it was a really rich story. I think it does a great job of exploring what incarceration is like for him, but also for the people who love him and how painful it is for them to try to find ways to support him while he is living out his sentence. And so I think that is what's really rich is that, again, I think that Jones does a phenomenal job of looking at all of the not just race, but also class implications that kind of lead to what happens. But also, I think that it's this really interesting 
exploration of how hard it is to support someone who's going through that. And so I think we see that with them all as well. And I also think that as a society, it's a it's something we don't look at the face of very often is what exactly it looks like when we're putting people in prison for these long-term sentences, what does that do for them? And when we send our teens to juvenile detention, what does that do for them and what happens to them after? And so I think there's a lot of exploration of that in both of the stories, and that was why it came to my mind. But again, I also wanted to recommend it just because I think it is a phenomenal book about how complicated marriage is, how, how complicated relationships are, and how those things are challenging when you don't put these additional systemic burdens on people, but then when you add these horrendous circumstances on top of what is already hard about just being human, how how people have trouble enduring that. So again, that's Tyari Jones's An American Marriage, and I think it is a phenomenal book. What about you, Jen? What's your pairing? What did you choose? She's got several listed here, friends. Yes, I'm really having a hard time. So <laughs> I will, I'll just say... If you want to know about the ways that the criminal justice system works, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow is a must read. I listened to it the first time and I've talked before about how I don't absorb every detail and I'm feeling like I need to go back and read it in print, but it is so important. And so, yeah, it is just so damning about the criminal justice system. But anyway, that's not the one I'm officially recommending. I will say, I think we're going to have a bookish fave about other recommendations because all of us had these lists of potential books that we could talk about. So my official pairing is Nick Stone's Dear Justice, which I recently read and just loved. We talked a lot about Dear Martin on the podcast. And this is, it's a sequel. I would say it's almost more a companion. So in this one, Justice, who is the protagonist of Dear Martin, is the recipient of letters. And those letters are written by Quan, who is a teenager who grew up close to justice. They knew each other when they were small, they were friends, but their lives have taken very different paths. And so we see that Quan is now in prison. He is there because he confessed to shooting a police officer. And that is part of Dear Martin. And, but what Nick Stone does that I think is so, so brilliant is she goes back to his childhood we go back to when Quan was eight years old and the first time he met Justice. And then you see the ways that their paths diverge, that because of a series of just different circumstances, Justice's life goes one way and Quan's life goes a very different way. And that way it reminded me of the other Wes Moore, just this idea that you can have two people who have so much in common and it's the smallest things that, like you were saying, actually, that can make a difference in in what happens. And you can second guess what would have happened if that one little thing had changed, but you see that it can't change. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to do spoilers for Dear Martin or Dear Justice, but I just really loved, I, I think like we see with them all in Punching the Air, we see Justice working through his own choices and also the system. And so I think that is something that I have just really come to appreciate is it's not about one or the other. It's about both and that both need to change and that he maybe made some mistakes, but also that the system has failed him and society has failed him in many ways over the course of his entire life. And it's really moving. It has moments of that are just devastating. And then it ha does have moments of hope also like punching the air. So, yeah. And it's such a fast read. Nick Stone is just amazing at creating just this fast paced plot. Again, I think it's great for a YA audience, but yeah, as an adult, I loved it just as much. I couldn't put it down. So, so that is Nick Stone's Dear Justice. Yeah, Y'all oh, are going to love it. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to wrap up just talking about whether this book is a keeper and giving it a personal rating. So Ashley, what do you think? What I, I mean, I'd love to learn this one. I think that it was really powerful for me. 
but I also would love to share it with a classroom. So I think it's pretty much in the loner category for me. Okay. And what's your personal rating? My personal rating is four bookish hearts because I loved it so much. I do think I am not like Sarah said early on about the intended audience. I think this one is very well written for teens. So in that sense, as an adult, I think I didn't love it quite as much as I would have if I were reading as a teenager. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sarah, how about you? Well, I'm very similar. I would want to get this in a classroom. So I would like to loan it or donate it to a classroom because I think it needs to be in the hands of young people. And I also am going to give it four bookish hearts for the same reasons that Ashley said. I just think I'm not the intended audience. I did love it. I think that kids will love it. Yeah, this is when I'm super excited to say that I have a classroom library again. So I am going to be keeping this in my personal <laughs> classroom library. And yeah, I'm also at four bookish hearts, I think. I could just repeat the things you said, but I will spare our audience. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we are going to end with give me one just new favorite anything. Sarah, what do you want to share? Well, I will say it's not so new for others, but <laughs> for me, <laughs> so I finally watched Hamilton on Disney Plus and I see what all the buzz is about. And I have listened to the soundtrack all the way through like three or four times and which is all, almost like reading an audiobook because I mean, it's exactly what's in the play. So like I do feel, so I watched it and then I've, I've gotten about, about halfway through my second watching, but I feel like having listened to the soundtrack, I really know the story better because I was just so enraptured with like the, the acting and the talent. And I mean, the whole time I'm like, oh my gosh, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote this and composed this and also start in the, I mean, it's just like, there's so much like talent. It's just hard not to swoon like the first time. So anyway, so I'm certainly like late, late, late to the party, but in my defense, I really did not have an access point for it. And then when Disney plus put it out, I did. And I finally found three hours of un uninterrupted time that I could watch it without my children, <laughs> children, you know, like talking to me and stuff. So I, I just loved it. And I definitely know why Jen swoons about it and talks about it. And I mean, it is, it was phenomenal. And I do belt out songs much to the chagrin of my husband and children. And <laughs> I'm not sorry about it. So I love it. So it's been a really, it's been a really fun thing to discover during this time because it brings me a lot of joy, even though it is terribly sad at points, but I just, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think getting to see it and experience it and like know why Jen likes it so much. It's been really, really cool to have that experience. Yay. <laughs> I, it makes me so, so happy that that is your new favorite. And you yeah. know, I was furiously texting Jen when I was watching it and Jen's like, what part are you at now? <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying not to like text her every 30 seconds because I know that, that would be just a little distracting, but I really wanted to know. And I th my dad was notorious for like wanting someone to watch a movie and then he would lean over and kind of watch you watch it the whole time because he wanted to know how you were reacting. I felt like my dad. I felt like I want to see her face in every scene. Anyway. All right. Ashley, how about you? What's your new favorite? I wanted to share a show that we've been loving recently because it's been, I think it's pretty challenging to find good shows. And my partner and I, don't have a whole lot of overlap in what we like and I want it to be relatively light and I want it to be under 30 minutes. So sometimes that's pretty tough to find. But what I have been loving, we both have been loving is Kim's Convenience. It's a series on Netflix. It is set in Canada and the main family is Korean Canadian. So the parents came from Korea and then they have two children, a boy and a girl who are, you know, in their 20s-ish. And so it, it's looking at their family dynamics. They run a convenience store and, the, and live above it. And the 
parents have a lot of traditional Korean ways. The children are more, you know, they have more of like Canadian uh, mindset about a lot of things. And so it just explores all of that. And I absolutely love it. I think that the characters are great. I love their relationships between each other. And you really get to know all four of them really well. And it explores each of their storylines quite a bit. And so I like that part as well. It's not entirely focused on any of the one, you know, any one of the characters. And I also love the the mom and dad. You see a lot about their dynamics. So they're probably like in their 50s and you see the dynamics between the two of them as a couple. And I've realized that I haven't watched that many shows that showcase a relationship at that point in its marriage, you know, a, a marriage at that point in time. And I've really enjoyed that. So, you know, their kids are moving out on their own and they're navigating those dynamics. And, and so that exploration is really interesting. And then also Jung, the, the older brother, he got in trouble when he was a teenager. And because of that, there's a really, really strained relationship between the dad and him. And so that is really interesting as well. So, I mean, it's a light show. It's really funny, but it also explores all those dynamics of relationships that I think are really fascinating. And then I love all the side characters as well. So there are people who frequent the convenience store. And so there are small parts, but I think that they that's all handled really well. And is like an interesting part of creating that sense of community. And so I think that's really cool. And then, you know, because somewhat because of Jung's situation as a teenager, he works at a rental, a car rental agency. And so he's kind of on that pathway. Whereas Janet, the daughter is in art school and she's going to be a professional photographer. And so it's also kind of exploring that. So, I mean, I think it's fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So again, that's Kim's Convenience and it's on Netflix. It's so funny because I had not heard much about that until you mentioned it one day when we were chatting. So yeah, I think it's brilliant, but underrated, it seems like, Mm -hmm. because I haven't heard a whole lot about it either. And I just think it's really well done. So I don't know. I never know how that stuff comes about. You know, I Mm -hmm. think it's interesting, but yeah, I haven't heard a whole lot about it either, but it's great. Yeah. What about you, Jen? What's yours? All right. So I'm going to cheat again, but I can't resist. Since Sarah talked about Hamilton, I just want to say, okay, so Song Exploder, it was originally a podcast by Hrishikesh Hirway who I found because of West Wing Weekly, but he he also did the podcast Partners. I think he is just brilliant. So they have taken his podcast Song Exploder, and now it's a Netflix series. And episode two is with Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he talks about writing, wait for it, the which is just one of the most, well, I can't say most phenomenal because all the songs from Hamilton are phenomenal, but it is one of my favorites. And he talks about the process and he has Tommy Kale, the director, and he has Alex Lackmore, who is the composer and arranger talking about just the process of writing the lyrics. And it is absolutely fascinating. So yeah, if you're Sarah, you're going to love it. Cause I feel like once you watch Hamilton, you want to know all the backstory yes. about, well, and I was, so I, okay. So we're, I guess I, here's a bit of an aside. So once I watched it, then I was like, I knew that Jen had said there was like this backstage, like book. So I went on Amazon and it was like not being printed. So I couldn't get it, but then it is, and I'm going to oh, get good. it on Sunday because Yay. I didn't want to wait till the holidays. Oh, you're going to love it. You are going to love it. <laughs> Because, yeah, you really, you want to know just all the things. Anyway, so the other thing I want to recommend is, so In the Dark, I have listened to seasons two and three. This is the final episode of season two, which season three actually kind of happened in the midst of season two, because season two focused on Curtis Flowers, who had been tried, he had gone through six different trials on death row for this murder that after listening to the podcast, I'm convinced he did not commit. I have no doubt. And basically eventually his case after six different trials went to the Supreme court and he is now free. And so Madeline Barron, who is the journalist from in the dark, who just reported on the case and really had a lot to do with him being released finally sat down with Curtis Flowers for the first time in the whole podcast 
and interviewed him about his release and just about the whole experience about being on death row for 23 years, about the hopes that would rise every time he got a new trial and then would fall again when he went back into prison. And I was on my way to work or I probably would have missed this because often when I feel like the episode's over, I kind of fast forward through the end, but I, I couldn't because I was driving and I'm safe. And at the very, very end, Curtis Flowers, who talks very much about how he loves music and loves to sing, sings a gospel song. And I was not safe at that moment because I was sobbing as I was driving to work this morning, but it is so moving and just such a triumph. And I do not know how that man has such a positive outlook after what he has been through, but it is, it was just a beautiful listening experience. So yeah, if you have not listened, I think you could probably listen to just that episode. I don't know that you'll fully understand what he had been through or the injustice that was done all along the way. But I think, yeah, it, it's just a really, a really, really hopeful moment. So that's in the dark. I think it's episode 20 of season two. That story is, I mean, it is nuts. I, I could not stop listening to it. And I was so, I'm so happy that the, I need to go listen to this episode that Jen's talking about because I'm happy, but it's also in, like infuriating and yeah. like, because it's 20 over 20 years, I think mm-hmm. it was like now. So ugh. yeah. Yeah. I wanted to throw my phone for many, many episodes or something. Yeah. All right. Well, to end, we just want to encourage you, if you haven't, to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We wanted to share our favorite review here recently. It says, as a new school administrator supervising the English department, this podcast is going to be essential for me to learn about books that kids are reading. Thank you. And I think today, that's another book that you can add to your list. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you on social media. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 